There's a defensive statistic that's trending in the wrong direction for the Pelicans. I'll explain what it is, what's causing it, and why it's a big deal. Plus, do the Pelicans need to try playing Jackson Hayes more? And what will the trade deadline look like this year? I think it might be different than what people are expecting. It's a Thursday episode of Locked On Pelicans. Let's go. You are Locked On Pelicans. Your daily New Orleans Pelicans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with y'all on this Thursday game day for the Pelicans as they take on the San Antonio Spurs, hopefully get a win and off a four-game losing streak. But today, I want to look at something with the defense, one number that's trending in the wrong direction. We'll break that one down in the first segment. I want to look at Jackson Hayes in the second segment. A lot of y'all have been asking about playing him. It might be worth a flyer, but... I'll explain why the numbers might not back up what you think is going to end up happening. And then we'll continue a little bit more talk about what the trade deadline is going to look like this year. Are there a lot of sellers, a lot of buyers? Is that going to throw things out of whack? That's all in today's episode of Locked On Pelicans. And thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We're here Monday through Friday for y'all, breaking down everything you want to know about the team. No one else coming to you like this. And we are completely free. Available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Subscribe to both of those. And if you want to support the show. Number one thing you can do, comment down below on YouTube. So let's get into it with the defensive number that I really want to look at. And this has been a bit of a problem recently for New Orleans. On the season, the Pelicans are one of the best teams at defending the three-point line. There's like an asterisk with that. On the season, going into this game against the San Antonio Spurs, opponents are shooting that uh, I just lost the number here. Hold on. Of course, that's what, what I would do recording in one take. Always fun. Our opponents are shooting 33.7% against New Orleans from deep. That is third best in the league. But if you look at that number since December, that number is changing a little bit. It's not a horrible number, but they're getting closer to slightly above 36% in the month of December. That puts them at 12th in the league. So they're still in the top half. They're outside of the top 10, though, and that number's going in the opposite direction than what you want. This is doing a number of things, and you can kind of see some knock-on effects from what's going on with the defense to allow this to be happening. So one of the things that the Pelicans did a good job of earlier on in the season was closing out on the three-point line. They do a good job of X-outs on side, pick-and-rolls, different things like that, and they get out there and they contest with their arm up without fouling, and it's causing opponents to miss some threes. It's not really easy to contest three-point shots in the NBA. The majority of NBA three-pointers are open or wide open because you don't take three-pointers if they're not, for the most part, unless you're just like an elite shooter or it's a late shot clock situation. And that's also why you don't really see a lot of three-pointers blocked, which is something Herb Jones does. So they did a very good job of that. But at the same point, because it's so tough to contest three-pointers and you're not doing it all the time and the majority of them are open, you rely on a lot of just like luck with that. You know, variance is a word that people will use with something like this of just 
Teams, for whatever reason, are cold against New Orleans, not necessarily due to what New Orleans is doing, though I think some of it is that. This is maybe just kind of regression to the mean, variance kicking in, and things kind of evening out a little bit. But as you've watched them play, particularly over this four-game losing streak, you're seeing some knock-on effects of other things happening. They're having trouble pressing the point of attack. That's something that they had done a very good job of earlier on in the year. Pressing the point of attack, forcing bad passes, wild passes, deflections, steals, things like that by being so aggressive. Their aggressiveness isn't quite working right now. You saw Devin Booker go off against them. You saw Giannis kind of do his thing, getting downhill, starting at the three-point line, attacking the basket. And it's creating downstream effects from all of that. New Orleans has to rotate over and they need to then try and contest a kickout or an extra pass after that. And that's leaving more open three-point shots than what New Orleans was giving up earlier. And it means those teams are making those three-pointers a little bit better than they were earlier on in New Orleans. So all of this stuff is really tied together. When I did a show on this Pelicans defense kind of being bend but don't break, this is what I was talking about. New Orleans... While they do a good job in terms of three-point accuracy against them, they are fourth worst in terms of percentage of uh, opponent's shots being threes. Over 41% of of all opponent's shots are threes. That's not a great number. And they weren't making them, but once teams started making those even incrementally more because New Orleans is giving up such a high volume of three-point shots, well, all of a sudden that's going to really hurt your defense because that shot is worth an extra point versus a two. And that's what you're seeing here and why the defense has really, really been struggling. And it stems from them not being able to put on as much pressure at the point of attack, allowing drives to the basket, which means someone needs to rotate over, which means a kickout pass is going to go to the open man, which means there's a longer closeout to try and go and contest that. And if they do a good job of it, it means the next person over is going to be open. So they do one more pass till they find an open man and shoot it against New Orleans. That's what's happening here. And it really doesn't start from opponent three-point shooting. It starts at the point guard, the person with the ball in his hands, getting hot and attacking the basket. And New Orleans not necessarily having a great answer for that. By playing guys like Devin Booker one-on-one for as long as Willie Green had that team do it, well, it forced that help defense. It forced those long rotations. It forced longer and worse closeouts. This is where New Orleans needs to look at something like what the Bucks did against the Pelicans, where they had a guy ready to go for Zion in the paint and left a dude open, Herb Jones in this case, pretty much every single time, Najee Marshall too. You know, doing that against some of these guys that are getting hot, I think can alleviate some of this. You're forcing the ball out of their hand to a worse three-point shooter that you've specifically chosen to leave open. And if that guy beats you, you live with that, right? I'd much rather, if you're an opponent playing New Orleans, wouldn't you rather lose the game because Herb Jones got stupidly hot from three when he doesn't normally do that and beat you versus Zion Williamson going and scoring 40 against you? I mean, I, I think that's what you would take every single time. You kind of got to go in with what you think is the best game plan, which is the obvious game plan. And if teams beat you with like the one glaring weakness to that, what can you do? You played the odds, you played the percentage. It's probably a smart game plan in the first place. New Orleans, I think, needs to get a little bit better with things like that. And they're struggling with that now. And you're starting to see the knock on effect. And that three point opponent, three point percentage right now is a direct reflection of some of the defensive principles they're using early on. On in the shot clock in a possession not working they need to really figure that out because all of this is actually 
tied together. Herb Jones being back for as much as he is hurting them offensively right now, being able to contest at the point of attack is a really important thing for this Pelicans defense to become that buzzsaw that we saw earlier on in the year. You get three very winnable games against, you know, mediocre at best teams. So it gives you a chance to really be able to kind of go out and get things back on track. And we'll see if the defense follows suit. But certainly there have been other issues too. And one of them has been a backup big. And in yesterday's show, we talked about how maybe that's the number one area they need to really prioritize trying to upgrade the roster. But is that guy already on the team? Is that guy Jackson Hayes? Let's take a look at whether he's the answer or if this isn't going to go the way people think it's going to go, who are clamoring him for him to be out in the lineup. That's coming up here next in today's episode of Locked on Pelicans. Before we do that, though, today's episode of Locked on Pelicans is brought to you by the NHTSA. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the laws in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. And that means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana want to can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive while you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI, paid for by the NHTSA. And thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We're here Monday through Friday for y'all breaking down every single thing you want to know about this Pelicans team. The stats, like we just looked at, we're going to look at Jackson Hayes and the players coming up too. And then I want to get into a larger thing around the league, which I think is going to impact New Orleans. And now go check out Locked On Sports Today as your second listen. Biggest stories around the sports world in 20 minutes or less. Locked On Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So let's look at Jackson Hayes. This is the Pelicans' big man. Started 28 games last season. Has only played 72, 73 minutes this season. He's an afterthought. Right now, he is not in head coach Willie Green's plans. But he started 28 games last year. Started in the playoffs. Is this a guy that can maybe give something to New Orleans that they need right now? We, they need a backup big that's maybe a little bit more reliable than Billy Hernan Gomez. Maybe a little bit more defensive-minded than Billy Hernan Gomez. Is Jackson Hayes that guy? I don't think so. I, like, I'm, I'm just going to be blunt about this. I don't think it's Jackson Hayes. And honestly, I, I see a lot of people give knocks on him for him posting on Instagram and things like that. And I, I really don't like that. And I disagree that that's any sort of negative influence on him whatsoever or a bad thing. And freaking go post on Instagram. Be a professional athlete. I don't think he's the answer because I just don't think he's that good of a player and just hasn't grown during all of this time. He is the same player that we've seen from a couple of years ago and one that has had a cycle of he's given minutes, doesn't do well, goes to the bench, comes back, plays just good enough to warrant some hype going into next season, and then doesn't even do what he did last season. You go through this whole cycle again and again and again. He's big. He's big and he can jump high and he can take long strides and he's athletic as all get up. Don't get me wrong on that. But how does that answer what the Pelicans need right now? Let's start with rebounding. Rebounding is not Jackson Hayes' strong suit whatsoever. If you look at it on a per-minute basis, let's look at it per 36 minutes, he had last season Josh Hart out-rebounding him. Larry Nance Jr. in the postseason per 36 minutes was out-rebounding 
Jackson Hayes. Heck, in the two games in seven total minutes he played, Didi Luzada Silva out-rebounded Jackson Hayes per 36 minutes. Per 36 minutes, Jackson Hayes grabbed eight rebounds last year. Valanciunas, by comparison, 13 and a half. Billy Hernan Gomez, by comparison, per 36 minutes, 14 and a half. You can even drill it down to rebounding percentage if you don't want to just use the raw numbers. Jackson Hayes, on the Pelicans last year, 12.5 total rebound percentage. Larry Nance Jr. in nine regular season games was right behind him at 12. Josh Hart was 12.8. Those numbers aren't great. Najee Marshall is 10.7, so about a percent and a half lower than Jackson Hayes was. In the playoffs, that number shrank even more. He did not do a good job of rebounding whatsoever. It was at 10.7 in the postseason. By comparison, C.J. McCollum was 10.1. Unfortunately, Jackson Hayes just isn't a good rebounder. He, he can get you some offensive boards at times, certainly, but so can a lot of other guys on this roster. Jackson Hayes, when you look at those numbers, just isn't a good rebounder. Josh Hart was out-rebounding him all of last year, even when you account for the differential in minutes played. That number that he's giving you right there isn't going to work. It's nowhere close to Valanciunas. And this year, you're seeing Larry Nance Jr. do a much better job of rebounding. While you could maybe play Nance and Hayes at the same time, I don't know if Hayes is really the answer, and I'd rather go in a different direction. There's a reason he's kind of included in any trade talk. There's a reason they didn't offer him an extension at the end of the, or during this past offseason when he was eligible for one. He just doesn't give you that rebounding that you really, really need from him that you would think a guy of his size does. Part of it, he's, he's very thin. He's very skinny. He's not great at fighting for position. Part of it is he goes through those cycles where he plays and then doesn't play and that, you know, needs reps and minutes. And it's just one of those things where he as a player hasn't worked out there. What about rim protection, right? What about rim protection and blocking shots and those sorts of things? His block percentage isn't bad. It's 3.8, led the team last year. But Larry Nance Jr. was right behind him at 3.7. It was 3.8. He blocked basically like almost 4% of shots around the rim when he was on the court. Larry Nance Jr. blocked about 3.7% of shots around the rim. That beats out Jonas Valanciunas at 2.6. But there's a difference between blocks and actual rim protection. You know, you need to be a deterrent down low too. If teams can blitz you and you just happen to block 4% of them, it doesn't matter if they're coming at you 100% of the time, right? That's still not going to work out. Jonas Valanciunas doesn't have a high uh, block rate, but teams don't try and test him at the rim very often, which lowers said block rate. And so that, I think, is something that can be a misleading statistic at times. You also want those blocks to go to one of your players. Hassan Whiteside was kind of notorious for not doing this. His block numbers were insanely high, and he would always swat him out of bounds, which just gave the ball right back to the offense. And that was that. It didn't end that possession. Ended that shot attempt, and there's value in that. You're giving the opponent less time on the shot clock. But you want those blocks to go right to a teammate so that you can start a fast break. That is something that Anthony Davis is actually very, very good at, is swatting a lot of those shots away to a teammate. You start a fast break, get out and run. When you look at those two things, you know, it, it just doesn't do it for me, right? This isn't a guy that 
has played particularly well enough that it's like, okay, they need to give him minutes. If you don't trust Billy Hernan Gomez, you know what? Try Jackson Hayes at one point, particularly in a game where maybe a big is giving you some trouble just to see and just to say you're doing something different. But I wouldn't expect particularly great results if Jackson Hayes is out there on the court. The minutes that he's gotten this year, which are all garbage time minutes, you know, it almost does seem like he's just trying to do whatever and not really kind of do the things that they want him to do. That's not great. He's stepping out on the court and launching threes. And why? Why not show us that you can play down low and be a center? That I'm not quite sure about. And those are certain things that also concern me about his play and putting him out there on the court. But I don't think it's wrong, even given the how, how low I am and how out I am on Jackson A's, to give it a shot at this point. Because I don't think Billy is a long-term answer. Nice player to have, certainly. Brings a lot in terms of team chemistry, can be reliable out there. But, you know, if you need a difference maker, yeah, try Hayes if Billy's not doing it. I just wouldn't expect that a lot's going to come in from this. He doesn't space the court for Zion Williamson. He doesn't shoot enough threes that teams are going to respect him out there. I think Jonas Valanciunas is much better in that regard. I don't know what he's going to give you that you can't get from other guys out there. And that's probably a big part of the reason of why he is stuck on the bench. So there you go. Let me know. Let me know if you think they should try him, if you want to see him playing over Billy Hernan Gomez, though, in the comments down below. So I want to get into a little bit more of the trade market coming up here next in today's episode of Locked on Pelicans. I do think this is going to be a weirder one than we were expecting, and I'll explain why coming up here next in today's episode. Before I do that, though, today's episode of Locked on Pelicans is brought to you by, I'll get the right sponsor here, Better Help. Look, therapy can be an important thing for you because there's just no user manual for life. So when life isn't going your way or it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck, go out and get some help. I've been through therapy personally. I love it. It helps you grow. It helps you develop, you know, coping mechanisms, coping skills, self-empowerment. It can help you deal with trauma. Whatever it is you might need, that's what they're trained to be able to provide. And as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. And it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It really couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Locked On NBA. And thank you for making Locked On Pelicans your first listen today and every day. We're here Monday through Friday for y'all, breaking down everything you want to know about this Pelicans team the good, the bad, the key statistics, the play on the court, the trade targets. We have it all. No one else coming to you all like this, the Top Pelicans podcast. And we are also completely free. And if you want to support the show, comment down below on YouTube, even if you just want to say hi. And now for your second listen, Go check out Locked On Saints, Ross Jackson breaking down everything black and gold that you want to know about. Look into the future. Who could they be drafting? How could they fix the QB problem? He's talking about Teddy Bridgewater in an episode this week. Could there be a reunion there? I wouldn't hate that idea. Go check out Locked On Saints. Make it your second listen. So yesterday did a whole show for the most part on trade the, the trade market for New Orleans. What are the assets they have? And I did have an error in there. One of the Bucks picks is top four protected coming to New Orleans, but they included it in the CJ McCollum trade. Thank you to the commenter on YouTube who pointed that out to me. Um, and my bad on that mistake right there. But 
this is going to be an interesting trade market. There was a lot of talk that there would be a ton of sellers. This draft is so stacked at the top. Victor Wimbanyama out of France as a skilled center is such a, a game-changing talent that teams were going to try and race to the bottom to be able to get him. They're not necessarily wrong. Some teams are very clearly doing that, and I think you'll start to see some teams shift. But the NBA is reaching a level of parity that he has not had before. And this is a good thing, I think, overall for the league. This is what they wanted. And this is partially due to the play-in tournament and teams having success like New Orleans coming out of the play-in tournament. That it gives teams an incentive to, to try and go win games. When you look at this right now, 11 teams are within five games or 10 teams are within five games of the Denver Nuggets who are the number one seed right now. New Orleans is only one game behind them. That's incredible. Teams are in competition right now. Of the play-in tournament, you have three teams that are just two games back of the 10th-seeded Dallas Mavericks right now. It's competitive. And because of this, especially with the West being completely wide open, the East is a little bit more stratified with like one tier and then kind of a middle tier. You know, it means teams aren't racing to the bottom because maybe they do want to go win games and there's some value, I think, in all of that. And the play-in tournament, you know, in winning those games, New Orleans seemed to really grow and set them up for future success. So I think a lot of teams are emulating that and not just outright tanking. And so that creates an issue of there's not a ton of sellers, at least right now, in the NBA. And it's who's going to be the first to kind of blow up their team and say, we want to start it over. Is it going to be a team like the Chicago Bulls? There's been a lot of talk about that. You know, I'm not sure. And if there's not a lot of sellers, what does it do for the overall market? What that does is it drives up the price of the players that could be traded. Say Chicago is one of the only sellers out there and they try and trade uh, Nikola Vucevic. Well, his price is going to go up if he's the best player available and teams are going to get into little mini bidding wars trying to get his services. Could be the same for other players. Miles Turner could see an increased price tag. You know, others like that really could be. I don't think the Miami Heat are trading Bam at a bio, but his would be incredibly high. Same for Shea Gilgis-Alexander if the Thunder were to want to move him, but that's not happening. So... What this ends up meaning is you might overpay, and it means the trade market is overpriced, and that could be a concern. Do you want to, if you bring, if you're, and that's a concern for New Orleans for this reason. One, I don't mind spending extra assets to go and just get your right guy. I don't think you need to maximize every ounce of value all the time. If there's a player you think is a difference maker, just go and get him and get your dude. There's something to be said for that. And with all the extra picks you have, you can afford it and it doesn't hurt you nearly as much as it might for another team. You know, the Lakers using some of those other picks they've had to get guys like Westbrook and things like that that weren't true difference makers has hurt their team building for this season and the inability to make a move because of it. New Orleans isn't in that same thing. You can you can overpay and you're still fine for the future. But I also do worry about overpaying for a guy with a big salary number that isn't that difference maker. Maybe that's OG Ananobi, though I'm pretty high on him, that if you bring him in, they get big money deal. It puts you into the luxury tax. You need cost-controlled players, and that, in general, means players on rookie deals. So if you're giving up an extra first-round pick or two to go and get a guy, you are not only paying that player a lot of money, but you're losing other cost-controlled guys in the future. That is a concern for a small market and a team that is going to get really expensive. 
It could also mean maybe New Orleans realizes where they're going to be just by the Zion extension kicking in, potentially a future extension for Herb Jones. They don't want to play that game. They don't. They know they need to try and keep costs low because unfortunately it's a small market team here. And you need those extra first round picks to get rotation guys because players at one point will be forced to either be traded away because of costs or just walk because they don't have the money against the salary cap to be able to re-sign them. It's something to keep in mind that if this trade market gets really overpriced, I'm less concerned about New Orleans overpaying on a guy they want. If they're like, this dude's the difference maker, go and get him. It's fine. I got no issue with that. If that's the guy that you want, I'm a big believer in go and get your man. But if it's not, and it's a marginal guy that you're overpaying for, don't love that. And that's why I tend to be right now, Arian on the side of go get like a role player rotation guy at best, not a big name starter, not a not a trade that you look at and you're like, oh, that is a starter. That's a guy that's going to get big minutes. That's the missing piece. I think I like this roster a lot right now, and I think it needs some tweaking around the edges. You can do that pretty cheaply in this market, I think, and not have to overpay and give up the war chest of assets for one guy who then complicates things more by not having more cost-controlled guys in the future and demanding a big salary. But let me know in the comments down below what you think. Because of that, if there are fewer sellers, and it appears to be that way right now, do you think that means New Orleans shouldn't try and get into bidding wars with others, or should they just go and make a move no matter what it costs? I'm curious what you think. Let me know in the comments down below on YouTube. All right, enjoy the game tonight. I will be there in the Smoothie King Center as always and there at every game and I'm looking forward to it. It's like two days without Pelicans basketball. I'm like itching and stuff. So thank y'all for listening as always. I'm your host, Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter and I'll be back with y'all tomorrow to recap the game.